Good evening. Let's stand and hear from God's word together. Isaiah 62 encourages us, calls us to worship tonight. It says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Christians, brothers and sisters, this is what the Lord calls us. He calls us holy, redeemed, sought out, not forsaken. And so as we have heard this call of our salvation, let us extend it to the world, to one another in here. Salvation has come. Let the redeemed say so.
That's right. We have gathered together tonight to proclaim the name of Jesus and the salvation that he has worked for us. Amen. You can be seated. Well, welcome, church, to this Lord's Supper service. So glad that you are here. This is going to be uh, just another sweet night together. I've been thinking a lot as we've been studying through the book of Galatians and especially what we looked at last week with this, uh, last Sunday with this idea of, of just gospel friendship and, and what this time is in light of our friendship, the fellowship that we have in Christ, that we get to eat a meal together, right? Like there's not anything more communicative of, of just friendship, I think, than sitting down and eating a meal. Now, this is a very big meal. There's a lot of us, but this is still just a way of, of saying we are, we are friends in Christ. And so I'm so glad that we get this time to, to hear from God's word. Caleb is going to be preaching tonight out of Galatians, continuing in our study in the book of Galatians. And he's going to be leading us, and then we'll take the meal together. And then hopefully there's just lots of good time for us to, to catch up after church and um, just encourage one another and be friends together. So in light of that, a couple of things that I want to say. One, I'm really, really happy to introduce to you one of my very, very dear friends, and that's Tate Madzima. He's here tonight. He's our new. That's right. So you guys have heard a lot about Tate. I don't know if you've gotten to meet him when he visited earlier this summer, but Tate is our new, our, or when was it? Not summer. January. I, you know, what year is it? I don't even know. The time has no meaning anymore. It's, uh, but but uh, maybe you got to meet Tate before, but we have just been praying for this brother. He's our new uh, minister of children and families. He's uh, been instrumental in getting the nursery opened back up again. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and he's just going to keep on working in that way. And, and this brother's heart is to care for little ones, but also to care for parents so well and just to, to care for our church. So um, thank you, you all, for praying for him. Keep praying. So he's here. They got all moved in uh, on Monday. His family, his wife, and the rest of his four kids, and uh, I think an in-law, they'll all be here on Friday. So they're coming in on Friday to finish unpacking. But come say hi to this, this new friend of ours and make him feel welcome, okay? And... Uh, <laughs> My daughter is feeling very, very friendly <laughs> tonight. Uh, and also, while we're thinking about friendship, I wanted to give away uh, a couple of these books. So this is a new little booklet that came out from Nine Marks. This is by Garrett Kell, How Can I Find Someone to Disciple Me? Okay, so when we talked about that on Sunday, this idea of good friends are people that are in each other's lives to help them uh, pursue Christ being formed in them, and that we are one another's disciplers. And so this is a really helpful guide for um, if you're in this position where I know that I need more people looking into my life and helping Christ be formed in me, but I don't even know where to start. I don't know what it looks like to form an intentional relationship around discipleship. This is that kind of book, and I've got three of them. So they're really, you know, look at that. That you could read in an afternoon, okay, but it is just filled with good stuff. So I've got three of these. Who would like a booklet, How Can I Find Someone to Disciple Me? Just show of hands. Okay, one back there. Patrick, got two more. Y'all are really going to pass this up? Okay, Megan, okay, right there. Here we go. Okay, well, how about you guys just come find me after so I'm not, like, throwing them around? Yeah. I think I could hit Patrick all the way. No, yeah, that's right. We'll do, like, a Frisbee. But you guys come, come get this afterwards, and um, I would recommend this resource to you if, if you are thinking about it later. It's really really helpful. So let's pray now together as friends, as family, and then we'll keep on worshiping, okay? God, we thank you so much for your mercies. 
that are new every day for all the things if we just stop and we reflect on your goodness to us, the ways that you've blessed us, the way that you've blessed us with friends, the way that you've blessed us with a church, the way that you have uh, blessed us with material needs being met, the way that you have blessed us with food, with clothing, with cars, Lord, with all kinds of things that we, we take so much for granted. And Lord, even more when we think about that we're so undeserving. We're so undeserving of these good things that you give to us, that you do for us. And, um, and God, we, we think about that. We think that uh, we are sinful and we have sinned against you in so many ways. Uh, even today, God, we have just not loved you with our whole heart. We haven't loved others the way that we should have. And so, God, we ask that you would have mercy on us even now. Give us that mercy of knowing that we are forgiven. Help the, the gospel be real to us right now. Remind us of the truth that Jesus has died for us and set us free from sin and condemnation, that we have eternal life with him because of his sacrifice. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to stir us up to that hope and to the fellowship that we have in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Let us stand now and continue in prayer through song and confess in song together.
mercy and love he has had on us, his children, that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. Come sons and daughters, see, adopted through the blood, God sent his son redeem me, now the curse has been undone, now the curse has been undone. Slaves to sin and captive, under the law we stood. Now faith has come and acted, our freedom has been secure. Our freedom has been secure. We are heirs. Heirs of the promise we will sing.
Now the curse has been undone. Now the curse has been undone. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Will you pray with me? Abba, Father, we are yours. This church is yours. These brothers and sisters are your children. But Father, help our unbelief. Father, help our unbelief. We believe, but help our unbelief. We know that we are children of yours, but today we have forgotten it in so many different ways. And Father, we're thankful that you have called us here tonight to remember, to remember that you love us unconditionally as sons and daughters. Father, we need you. We need you right here in this moment as we go to your word. We know things intellectually, but we need your grace to truly understand them. Father, I need your grace to be able to explain them. So Father, be with all of us as we go to your word here in Galatians 4. We ask you for all these things, and we thank you for all these things. In your son's name, amen. Well, it's hard to watch someone you love make poor decisions, isn't it? Maybe it's your daughter, and she's making really, really poor decisions. It's killing you. She's making soul-damaging, soul-enslaving decisions, and it is worrying you. You can't sleep at night. You're concerned. You need to talk to her. So dinner can wait. So before you sit down to eat dinner, you pull her aside and you let her know, I love you, but I'm concerned. Don't go down this path. It's a trap. This is what Paul is doing in our passage here tonight with the Galatians. As we've seen in our study of Galatians, the Galatians have been going astray. They've been going off the path of the gospel. They've been trying to add works to the promise. They've been trying to add works for their justification, and Paul is worried. And God feels the same about some of you tonight. He knows, because he is sovereign, that we are going to the Lord's Supper in just a minute. But he also knows that today, you have been trusting in your works to earn his love. Maybe knowingly, maybe unknowingly. But you've carried around this running checklist today, trying to check off enough boxes to make God keep smiling at you. And God is concerned. So through his living and active word, he's pulling you aside tonight and he's saying, don't go down that path. Come back, come back. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians 4, verse 21. Galatians 4, 21, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen or you can pull out your 
phones because we'll be in a couple other passages tonight. So I want you to be able to see what we are looking at here. Galatians 4.21 Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Well, like a good parent, Paul starts with a question. Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? It's important to know that law can mean all of the Old Testament. So throughout the, throughout the Bible, the biblical authors can use the word law for all of the Old Testament. And this is exactly what Paul is doing right here in Galatians 4. He's saying, do not listen to the law. Do not listen to the Old Testament. Don't you know your Old Testaments? And then he goes to one of the most pro- provocative and Oprah-esque stories in all of the Bible. Sarah and Hagar and their two sons. Now, we don't live and breathe our Old Testaments like we probably should. And so we don't feel the force of this text. Maybe as I was reading it, you were just thinking, God help that brother. (laughs) This is a confusing text. We don't necessarily know exactly what Paul is saying here because we don't know our Old Testament super well. We're going to need to review in just a minute. But the Galatians did not need to review. They knew exactly what Paul was talking about when he brought up Hagar. There would have been a, maybe a gut-level reaction just at the mention of Hagar and her son Ishmael. It would be like if I started this sermon with the name Hitler. Or if I started the sermon talking about Darfur. Immediately, a flood of thoughts and emotions would hit you, wouldn't it? This is what's going on in Galatians when Paul brings up Hagar. He knows that it will get their attention. But why? Why does Paul bring up Hagar? And what's the connection between Hagar and Sarah and the Galatians and the law? What's going on here? Well, let's rewind back to Genesis 16. 
If you've forgotten about Genesis 16, when we get to chapter 16, the covenant that God has made with Abraham, the, the promise that God will bless Abraham and make him a great nation has just happened in chapter 15. The covenant has just been confirmed. But it's been years since the promise was made in chapter 12. Even though it's only been a few chapters, it's been years since the promise was made in chapter 12. And Abraham and Sarah still don't have any kids. Years have gone by. Day after day, month after month, year after year, since the promise, and they have not had one child yet. You can feel the tension that they probably are feeling. You can probably feel their discouragement and their doubt and their confusion. What's going on, God? You promised, but it's been years and I'm not seeing anything yet. We don't have a child. Well, in Genesis 16, Sarah is done waiting. And she decides to take matters into her own hands. She is going to, through her own effort, through her own works, she is going to try to get that supernatural blessing promised in Genesis 12. And this is her plan. She tells Abraham to have kids with her servant, Hagar. And just like Adam in the garden, Abraham listens to his wife. He joins in the insurrection and he tries to get the blessing through his own effort. What happens? Hagar and Abraham have a son. They do. They have a son, Ishmael. But he's not the child of the promise. He's the child of the slave woman. And so when God makes good on his promise back in Genesis 12, and he gives Sarah and Abraham their son, the child of the promise, Isaac, all the inheritance goes to Isaac. None of it goes to Ishmael. And with Isaac there, there's no more need for Ishmael. There's no more need for Hagar. Eventually, Sarah gets tired of them and she sends them away. Why? Because they're slaves. They're outcasts. They're not God's people. Now fast forward back to Galatians with me. And remember from our study that the Galatians have been trying to earn their salvation through their works. They are trying to become children of promise based upon the Mosaic Covenant. You got that? You remember? So with that in mind, how do you think the Galatians are feeling right about now? When Paul equates the Mosaic Covenant, their cherished Mosaic Covenant with Hagar, how do you think they're feeling? Not great. (laughs) They're not feeling great about right now. Paul has just told them that if they keep going down this path of trying to earn their salvation by their own works, they will end up just like Ishmael. They will be slaves. They will be outcasts. 
they will not be God's promised people. If they try to get their freedom by their own works, they will only get slavery. Freedom comes through promise. Which brings us to the main idea of our text tonight. The main idea of Galatians 4, 21 through 31 is this. Children of works get nothing except chains. But children of the promise get everything in Christ. Again, I think the main idea of the text tonight and of the sermon is this. Children of works get nothing except chains, but children of the promise get everything in Christ. And what we're going to do is we're just going to break this down into its two phrases. Point number one, children of works. Well, why do children of works get nothing except chains? Two reasons. Reason number one, they get nothing because they are born according to the flesh. Look at verse 23 with me. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. When you're born according to the flesh, you get what the flesh can produce. And that's just not going to cut it, is it? What we can produce cannot satisfy us. We were made to delight in something, someone greater than what our own works can get us. God's blessing is out of our league. Let's learn from Abraham and Hagar on this point. Let's just consider what happened when they tried to get supernatural blessing through natural effort. Just think about what happened to them. Sure, Abraham got his son Ishmael, but he only stayed around for a while, right? Hagar got a spot at the Abraham's table for a moment, but it was just temporary. And so when Abraham doesn't need her anymore, her spot at the table goes away as well, doesn't it? Our hearts long for the blessings that only the gospel can provide. We crave the blessings that the gospel offers. We crave peace, don't we? We just want everything to quiet down inside of us. We want the sin that we see to be forgiven. We want unconditional love. We want to be fully known and fully loved. But when we try to get supernatural blessings through our natural efforts, it does not work. I think you guys know this. Maybe some of you guys who are really disciplined, you started your Bible reading plan January 1st and you haven't missed a day yet. You cruise through the Pentateuch and you've got Ezekiel in the bag. You are headed towards December 31st, good to go. And you are unhappy. You are terribly insecure. Does God love me? You feel like his love for you just goes up and down, up and down, like a yo-yo, up and down. You've got Romans 8 memorized, but you've got nothing except chains. And there's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing you can do about the predicament that you are in. 
There's nothing you can do about the slavery that you are in because of the second reason our text gives us. Children of works get nothing except chains because they're born in slavery, slavery to the law. Look at verses 24 and 25 with me. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. We are all born with this innate desire to earn our acceptance. And we're also born with the desire to earn our acceptance by following a certain moral standard. Every single one of us. Each one of us has a moral standard that you and I are following. We all do. We all are born that way. And we're slaves. We're slaves to that moral standard. Maybe you're like the Galatians, and you are slaves to the law. You are slaves to what happened on Mount Sinai. You are slaves to the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments feel like plates spinning. And you've just got to keep them up. You've got to keep the plates spinning or you're afraid that God's smile is going to change to a frown. So you've got you to love God more than anything else. And you've got to get over here and make sure this plate doesn't, doesn't drop and you can't covet. You're exhausted. You know you're not doing a good job, but you can't do anything else. The plates keep on spinning and you keep on trying to keep them going. Or maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not religious. You don't care about Mount Sinai. You don't care about the Ten ten, uh, Commandments. You don't care about the present Jerusalem and what that means in this text. All you care about are your present relationships. Relationships at home. Relationships at work. Maybe relationships you want but don't have. But even there, even if you are not religious, you still have a moral standard you follow, don't you? You have a moral standard. You've got to be able to do certain things to be able to earn the acceptance of the relationships that you have. You've got to do or don't do certain things to keep the acceptance that you have in the relationships. And so you keep on trying. You are enslaved to earning or to keeping the acceptance and the respect of those around you, whether you are religious or non-religious, you are born chained to a certain law. And you drag this ball and chain with you wherever you go, whether it's the law, whether it's your law, whether it's someone else's law, we all drag around this ball and chain wherever we go. Now I know this is a Lord's Supper service, And so I know that most of you are Christians. For most of you, Christ has freed you. Christ has freed you. But like Israel in Egypt, 
You were once enslaved to Egypt. But maybe it happened a couple weeks ago, maybe it's happening today. But you, just like Israel, were freed from Egypt and you've treated that slave master for another slave master, the law. You've just traded slave masters. That's what you've been doing. You've traded Egypt. Maybe Egypt for you was a sexually immoral lifestyle. Maybe Egypt for you was alcoholism. And Christ has come and he's freed you from those things. But like Israel, you've traded that slave master or those slave masters for morality. You've left the cell of morality for the cell, or you've left the cell of immorality, I should say, for the cell of morality. And if that's you here tonight, I want you to hear this. Get out of that cell. Get out of the cell of morality. You are not trapped there anymore. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that prison door has swung wide open and you can step out of here tonight and come boldly to the Lord's table. You are not chained to any law. You are not chained to the law. You are not chained to your own law, and you are not chained to anyone else's law. You are free. Look at verse 26 with me. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. The Jerusalem above, the new covenant community, the church, is free. And when she shares the message of freedom and people repent and believe the gospel, they are free just like her. We may not look like much. We're a ragtag group of people in here tonight. Just look at verse 27 with me. Our family tree starts with a barren woman. We didn't come from a noble line. But the tree, our family tree, has just been growing and growing and growing since Sarah. And it is still growing. Our family tree is growing all over the world, even tonight. Even tonight in Afghanistan, in North Africa, in Guatemala, all over the world, our family tree is growing, and our brothers and sisters are free. And it can grow in Albuquerque too. Our family tree can grow in your neighborhood. So who can you share the gospel with this week? Who can you share the message of freedom with this week? What unbelieving neighbor have you not invited over for dinner yet? We've got a message of freedom. But by and large, we live in a city of bondage. Most people in this city are not free. They are enslaved. They are enslaved 
to the law. They're enslaved to their sin. And I get it. I get it that they are responsible for their sin. I know Romans 1. I know that they deserve God's wrath. But there's also Romans 10. How are they ever going to believe unless we share it with them? And we talk about society these days. We talk about how our culture is going astray. But of course, if they've never heard the message of freedom, they will continue to live in bondage. Who can you share the gospel with this week? You can offer them everything because you're offering them to join you as children of promise. You can offer them everything they want. You can offer them peace. You can offer them forgiveness. You can offer them unconditional love. You can offer them everything because you're offering them to join you as children of promise. Which brings us to our second point, children of promise. Verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Why do children of promise get everything in Christ? Two reasons. They get everything because they are born again through promise. When you're born according to the flesh, you get what the flesh can accomplish. But when you're born through promise, you get blessing and value based on what the God of the promise can accomplish. Hagar came onto the scene because of what she could do. But Sarah comes on the scene because of what God can do. And our God can do everything. Including giving a child to an old, barren woman, Sarah. And including giving a child to a young virgin woman, Mary. Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate, is the true and better child of promise. And he has secured the Genesis 12 blessing for us. He has done everything that we needed to do but could never accomplish so we could get the blessing and value that we wanted but could never attain. He obeyed the law, every bit of it. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He took the penalty that our sins deserved, which was God's wrath on the cross. And brothers and sisters, it is finished. No more wrath. Through his resurrection and by the power of the Spirit, the true and better child of the promise has caused us to be born again as children of promise. He has done everything so that we could get everything. Our blessing and value is fixed. It is eternally fixed in Christ. And you can do nothing about it. You cannot mess that up. 
which means, which means your value to this church is not based upon what you can offer. Your value to this church is based upon what God has done for you and continues to do through you and will continue to do through you. Look at verse 27 again. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Sarah didn't have anything to offer. She was barren. But our God used her. Do you feel like you have nothing to contribute to this church? You look around at other people and they seem to be serving their brains out and you just, you don't have anything to offer. Look at verse 27. Just look at it. Our God used a barren woman and through her, millions and millions and millions of children of promise came from her. If he can do that, he can use you. God, our God, uses the unusable. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter who you are. Pick right now, because I know you're thinking of an exception. Pick right now the most embarrassing thing about you. Think about it. God wants to use you. Look at verse 27. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Rejoice, the one who has nothing to offer. Rejoice, O anxious and depressed. Your Savior is the Prince of Peace, and he will use you. Rejoice, O frustrated and harsh parent. Your Savior is gentle and lowly in heart, and he will use you. Rejoice, all of you who think that your sin has disqualified you from serving in this church. He sees your sin. He sees you. He sees all the sin you're trying to hide underneath the rug. He sees right through that rug. But that sin, or that weakness, or that difficulty that is in your mind right now, just makes him want to use you more. It just grows his compassion for you. Good, a good friend of mine, a sister, shared this passage a couple weeks ago. Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16. Turn there, because I don't think you're going to believe what I'm about to read unless you actually see it with your eyes. Starting in verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, 
Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. He saw us wallowing in our blood. He saw the panic attack. He saw the argument that you had with your child and how you lost your temper. He saw you committing that sin that you don't want anyone else in this room to know about. He saw you wallowing in your blood. And he said, live. He chose you. Not in spite of that sin, but because of that sin, because he wanted to magnify his grace and his love through that sin. He loved you all the same. told us to live. He told us to live and we were born again as children of promise. And children of promise don't need to earn their place at the table. All of their blessing, all of their value come from Christ. And so we are free. We are free from the law. Reason number two that children of promise get everything The children of promise get everything because they are born again in freedom. We are free in Christ. There are no more plates to spend. There are no more running checklists to carry around with you tomorrow. It's already been done. The law has been fulfilled in Christ. And we're gonna see in the rest of Galatians starting even this next week that our freedom doesn't give us license to sin. The gospel produces good fruit. But if you're ever going to produce good fruit, you have got to realize that you're bad fruit. Past, present, and future. Past, present, and future has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. No more guilt. No more shame. can't unchild yourself. You've already been born again. Tell me how you're going to not be a child after you've already been born. It is impossible. There's no more guilt. You are a child of the promise, yesterday, today, and forever. And we get this, don't we? When it comes to our own families, we get this. And growing up, I never went through a checklist before I felt like I was called to come to our dining room table. I never did a mental checklist of, did I do enough to be able to make it to dinner tonight? 
Did I do enough to be a child of Ronnie and Bridget Bachelor? I never thought about that. No matter how many poor decisions I made, I knew there was a spot at the table for me. As we head to the Lord's Supper in just a moment, and as you examine yourself and you see different sins, if you're trusting in Christ to take care of that sin, there's a spot at the table for you. And unless Jesus comes back, there will be a spot at the table again for you next month. And the month after that, and the month after that, and keep going and going till Jesus comes back. We get to enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. Just spot the table for you because you are free. But you should know something. This comes from our passage. You should know that the flesh hates freedom. Hates it. Children of promise get everything, and that makes some people mad, including you and me sometimes. Verse 29. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. When someone should be penalized and gets blessing instead, that can be incredibly irritating, can it? He didn't catch the football. It is not a touchdown. He doesn't deserve it. She hasn't done enough to get that job promotion. She doesn't deserve that job. I'm afraid we carry that same thinking into this church. He doesn't even have a biblical view of X or Y. We can't be friends. I know that she's struggling to love her kids well. There is no way she can come to the Lord's Supper as boldly as me. Does any of that sound familiar? Sounds familiar to me. But when we revert back to being children of works, we will inevitably segment this church. We will segment this church into groups that are mature or less mature, however we deem it. And we will discriminate. Not visibly, necessarily. We'll do it in our heart. Or maybe it will show up and who gets invited to our dining room tables. But if we revert back to being children of works, this will inevitably happen in our church because, the, because works hate promise. Flesh hates freedom. So how do you know whether you're doing this or not? How do you know if you're discriminating or to use Paul's language, persecuting brothers and sisters in Christ? Here's a diagnostic question for you. Do you regularly get frustrated with a certain subgroup of Christianity? Do you regularly get frustrated with a certain subgroup of Christianity? 
if that subgroup has to check off some boxes for them to get a dinner invite, it's a sign that you've forgotten the gospel. It's a sign that you have forgotten that they are children of promise. You're thinking like a child of works. And this is where the Galatians were tripping up. But there's no inheritance here, Desert Springs. There's no inheritance here, verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. There's no inheritance here. It's just slavery. When you think like that, you're just putting the chains back on. Don't forget. Don't forget how heavy those chains were. Don't forget how they cut into your skin everywhere you went. Don't forget. God hasn't forgotten. God hasn't forgotten how horrible slavery was for you, which is why he has been pulling you aside tonight and telling you, it's a trap. Get out of that cell. Get out of that prison cell of morality. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on you. No matter how many times you've gone back to that cell of morality, he has not given up on you. His compassion has just grown warmer, just like it did for Israel, his son. This is the last passage we'll go to, Hosea 11. Hosea 11. Hosea 11, starting in verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. How did God respond? Look at verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma, and how can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. Step out of your cell of works righteousness and go up those prison steps to the Jerusalem above. We're all here. Christ has prepared a feast and there's a spot for you. Let's pray. Father, as we move towards singing and then celebrating the Lord's Supper, Father, I ask that this church would realize that they are free They are free to eat. 
they are free to take the bread and the cup. They're free because they are children of promise. And they can't unchild themselves. They are your children. Yesterday, today, and forever. Father, give us faith. Give us eyes to see right now your love for us. In your son's name, amen. Let us stand and respond. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused Him pain for me.
and clothed in righteousness Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. If that's true of you, if you have an interest in the Savior's blood, if you've abandoned your own works and embraced Christ's work alone to save you. This meal is for you. The bread and the cup. The bread representing Christ's broken body for you. And the cup representing God's spilled blood for you. Both of those are for you. Christ invites you to this meal. And if you get an invitation from Christ, that is all that you need. Amen. Let's come boldly to the bread and the cup. But if you're trusting in your own works for salvation, the bread and the cup are not for you yet. The bread and the cup are only for those who have abandoned their own works. So we're going to ask you to not eat of the bread and the cup in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to, to, when we eat the bread and the cup, for you to let others do that. But I want you to know we're praying for you. I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying that next month you'll have abandoned your works. You'll have embraced Christ's work for you. I'll be praying that you'll be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us in a month. But do you see, family, the Jerusalem above, we are free to eat. We are free to eat the bread. So hear the invitation from Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Brother Springs, do this in remembrance of me.
we are free to drink the juice. We are free to celebrate Christ's blood spilled for us. Hear the invitation from Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for this meal. Father, we thank you that you have ordained it for us to be able to remember again and to be able to proclaim again the death of Christ for us. We thank you how you have met with us. And Father, we pray that you would continue to meet with us as we close out in a time of singing. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand close our time hearing the Savior's call.
two paths that lead out from here tonight. One path is a path of freedom. That is, we leave here as children of the promise and live out that freedom in Christ. For those that Christ has set free, we are free indeed. And we live that out by loving and caring and serving one another. So that's one path. The other path is the path of slavery. Don't leave on that path. Don't leave here tonight still in chains. You are surrounded by Christians who want to give you the key. The key is faith in Christ. So turn and ask, turn and receive, turn and believe, and leave here as free children of the promise. Amen. Let's go in peace. Have a good night.